Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the War Memorial Opera House and the San Francisco Ballet Meet the Artist program. Today, which is Sunday, February 2nd, 2014, for all you podcast listeners out there, and yes, it is Super Bowl Sunday, but we are not going to talk about that. I have the pleasure of chatting with soloist Sasha DeSola. Please welcome her. Good afternoon. I'm Cheryl Osola, a writer for San Francisco Ballet and editor-in-chief of Dance Studio Life magazine. And uh, I am happy to be here on behalf of the San Francisco Ballet Center for Dance Education, which produces the Meet the Artist program and other adult education events. Uh, many of you listen to the Meet the Artist interviews via podcast on our website, so you can always tune in to, for any that you missed. And uh, while you're there, you can check out other things like photos, videos, the company's blog, Open Studio 455. And you'll find all of that at sfballet.org. So Sasha DeSola has graced the stage in nearly every kind of ballet conceivable since joining the company in 2007 after a one-year apprenticeship. She has danced soloist and principal roles in many ballets, including the Grand Pas de Deux and Sugar Plum Fairy and Nutcracker, stepsister Edwina in Cinderella, the Queen of the Dryads in Don Quixote, and various ballets by Helgi Thomason, George Balanchine, Jerome Robbins, Yuri Posikov, and many, many others. She was born in Winter Park, Florida, and trained at Central Florida Ballet in nearby Orlando, and also at the Kirov Academy of Ballet in Washington, D.C. After five years in the company here in the Corps de Ballet, she was promoted to soloist while the company was on tour in London in 2012. So Sasha, I'd like to start with my new favorite question, which is, what is your earliest memory of dance? Wow, um, actually my earliest memory has to be actually at home. Um, I grew up in a very musical family and um, we actually are, my parents are from Venezuela originally, so we had a lot of dancing and music at home, and um, I would put on shows for my parents and for my family. So that's actually my earliest memory. Um, earliest memory of ballet, though, is actually seeing the Nutcracker when I was probably seven years old in Orlando, and um, I saw the little kids on stage, and I thought, oh, I can do that, I want to do that. <laughs> So that's, yeah, earliest memory of ballet. Now, when you started dancing, you were at a school that, that wasn't exclusively ballet. There was jazz and tap and whatnot. So I guess you had some exposure to other forms of dance early in your training. Yeah. Was that um, enough of a foundation for you to give you some versatility? Or, or has there been other training you've had to get to make yourself adaptable to the needs of this company? Um, I think it's a, it's a mix. Um, I grew up mainly um, in jazz class and going to jazz competitions, tap. Um, so I do kind of fall back on that training sometimes and um, 
for example, in pieces such as Wayne McGregor's Borderlands that requires a lot of um, isolation and very fluid movement. Um, I do think that actually does help me. Um, but also, I don't know, I think um, as long as you have a strong classical ballet technique, you can also build on that and kind of um, relax into a, a different type of movement that's not considered just plain classical ballet. If you're just joining us, I'm chatting with soloist Sasha de Sola. So, um, I read somewhere that you really love the tutu ballets, as you called them, so the, the classics. Mm -hmm. And you've certainly danced in a lot of them, um, Nutcracker, The Sleeping Beauty, Don Quixote, et cetera, et cetera. And I wondered, um, you know, I suppose with any ballet, you know, you love the role you're doing, or maybe you don't. Uh, <laughs> but I wondered if there's one uh, classical ballet that's your favorite that that you would love to watch as much as dance? Mm, that's hard. I mean, I love them all. Um, one that I've always wanted to do, actually, is Giselle. Um, and also Aurora and Sleeping Beauty. I, I love the classicism of it. I love really just how beautiful it is, the whole ballet. Um, so yeah, I would say those two stick out in my mind. As, as ballets that I love to watch and that I would one day love to perform as well. So that when you, when you say you prefer tutu ballets, a lot of neoclassical ballets, shorter work, repertory works also mm -hmm. are tutu ballets. That's true. Even things like Sweet on Blanc. Is, mm -hmm. is the difference to you having a story with a longer ballet? Um, basically, yeah. Um, for example, Sweet on Blanc, although it looks like it is um, very classical in its base, it has a lot of neoclassical elements um, in mainly the port bras how you use your head, how you use your arms. And um, whereas, uh, let's say, the classics, um, those are basically, I think, drawn more from the story and the technique just adds to it. And that's the difference for me. A little bit more of an emotional involvement there right. too, yeah. Um, so in, in Giselle, in this, in this year's production of Giselle, you dance uh, the Pas de Sank in the first act, so that's the, the five peasants dancing together. And you also dance one of the solo Willie roles, and often in the same performance. Yeah. So you're going from happy peasant to betrayed, bitter, dead person within, <laughs> you know, just a, a short period of time. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I'm sure that's harder for the, the dancer who's doing Giselle because she's one character, whereas you're two different people. But it's gotta be a little tricky and I wondered what the differences are in, in just the nuances of style and approach between act one and act two. Yeah, absolutely. Um, act two, I definitely try to incorporate the romantic style to the best of my abilities. So that means, you know, carrying my upper body a little bit forward and the neck elongated um, a little bit, the head like slightly down. Um, and the arms, the fluidity in the arms is extremely important as, long, as well as um, 
the use of the elbows. Um, whereas Act One, um, as a peasant, it's a bit more lively, so I feel like I can take a little bit more of, um, I don't know, like a, a sweeter approach, I guess, um, and just kind of enjoy the music and the dancing. And um, yeah, it's absolutely completely different mindset going into Act One versus Act Two. Um, but you know, that's part of the fun and part of the challenge. Is there, it seems like in terms of the mindset you need for, for the willies um, is similar to what is needed in um, the Kingdom of the Shades, um, part of La Bayadere. Um, and it's so important for, for those dancers to be one. Mm -hmm. is, is it exactly the same in Giselle? Is that feeling of unity what you're going for? Um, yeah, absolutely. The feeling of unity is extremely important, um, but I would say the style is slightly different. Um, we have the honor to be working with Natalia Makarova for, she's studying Bayadere for our next programs, and um, I was working with her yesterday, and she just, her corrections and her um, way to express what she wants you to achieve is um, mainly through kind of breathing through the music and um, feeling the melody, letting the melody take your body, um, which is extremely helpful in such a technically difficult ballet. Um, so it's, I mean, it's a huge honor to be working with her and probably one of my, I don't know, a, just a great um, moment in my career to be working with her. If you're just joining us, I'm chatting with soloist Sasha de Sola. So you can, you can take a pass on this question if it's too personal, but when you were promoted to soloist, you were on tour in London, uh, you had just performed a principal role as, as a corps de ballet dancer in Helgi Thomason's ballet trio. And during intermission, he went out on stage and announced that you were a soloist. Um, do you know why he timed it that way? Did he say anything to you? I actually have no idea. Um, <laughs> I, I imagine maybe it was to um, catch me off guard, to kind of surprise me, um, because I really was not expecting it. I just finished and I was just tired and like still sweating, and <laughs> he comes backstage and um, you know tells me that he wants me to be a soloist with the company and. Um, I mean, I was so surprised and obviously grateful and honored, but um, right after that, I was like rushing to change into the next ballet. So I, I don't know. That's, he's, he never really expressed why he would do it then, but I'm glad he did. <laughs> and I bet you don't remember a thing about the performance that followed. Oh, no. I mean, I was just trying to remember the choreography, don't mess it up, like, concentrate. <laughs> so um, you're dancing in a, in a wide range of ballets this season, as always, and I wondered if there were any in particular that you feel have pushed you in terms of an, being an artist. I mean, all of them. I know that's very broad and vague, but really all of them, because um, one of the most wonderful things about this company is we have such a wide range of repertory, and 
Um, I think it's also one of the biggest challenges. Um, you know, we have to go from, you know, doing Biodare to doing Borderlands to doing Firebird to doing, you know, a world premiere of a choreographer that um, has just visited. So, um, in each ballet, there's something, at least one thing, if not many things, that you can take and um, grow from, and that's what I always hope to do. So I, I, I honestly can't name one. <laughs> and I imagine sometimes whatever growth you think is happening within a season is happening both technically in terms of body and what you're able to do, but also emotionally in terms of what you're able to give on stage. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the most rewarding, um, one of the most rewarding performances um, is one that you can be really expressive. Um, so whether it's a clear story or whether it's more abstract, um, really devoting your emotion to that and, and becoming that character or becoming what it is that you're trying to achieve is re extremely rewarding. It's my favorite thing. Uh, it, there's on on the company's website. There's an artist spotlight about you, and and in the spotlight, you advise young dancers to to work hard and to persevere, but also to work smart. Mm -hmm. And I I wondered what working smart means to you. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's working smart. Personally, for me, meant um, finding the process that works best for me. Everybody's different and um, we all strive for kind of the same type of perfection. Um, but um, it's, you know, focusing on your strengths and working on those, realizing your weaknesses, also working on those, but knowing what you have to offer and, um, and growing in the way, whether it's as, I mean, I believe that as you can grow as a person, and that will feed the art. And um, I think that also, that's part of working smart for me, is, is becoming the person I, I want to be at home and on stage. And, and do you find that there's a correlation between things in your personal life that, that, that cause you to grow? Um, and your development as, an, as, as a dance artist? I think so. I mean, I've been extremely blessed to be around the most supportive family, friends. Um, so that's huge. Um, it, I think it absolutely correlates. And um, yeah, it's recognizing that, you know, no one is self-made and, and being grateful for all the opportunities that you've had and all the support. Uh, if you're just joining us, I'm chatting with soloist Sasha DeSola. Um, so next year, the company is going to be uh, in Paris for several weeks um, on a lengthy tour with a festival there. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about What's different about being on tour versus being here at home in terms of what your work schedule is like, how you work, and how you pace yourself? Mm. Um, being on tour is, 
even more intense than being here um, in the season, in my opinion. Um, we're always with each other. We all stay in the same hotel, then we all go to work together, and then we all go back to the same hotel. Um, but besides that, we're in a new city. We're on a new stage. Um, we have a relatively short amount of time to put all these ballets together and perform them. Um, so it's kind of a, an intensified version of what we do here during the season. Um, on the flip side, though, it's nice to have um, exposure to another audience, and um, it's also kind of energizing to be in a different city and um, just feel, um, I don't know, recognition from other audiences around the world. So it's a great experience. Do you find it difficult to, to you know, eat the way you like, get the rest you know you need, um, that sort of thing in, in a new environment? Yeah, uh, obviously it depends where we are, but um, yeah, it's, you know, it's hard. You, know, you can't go home and have your, you know, whatever it is that you eat at night or your little snacks during the day that you're so used to. And yeah, that's, a, that's always a challenge. And, um, but usually, you know, we, we find a way to make it work. <laughs> I think, I think uh, next year the performances will be indoors, but last time at this festival they, it was an outdoor stage. Did that present any particular challenges for you? I wasn't there last time, actually. Ah, okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> never mind. Before I joined the company. Okay. Um, so I'm going to open this up very shortly to all of you for some questions, and I'd like to remind you that we have limited time and keep them brief and one per person. But before we do that, I wanted to ask a little bit about your purse-sized companion I see you <laughs> with all the time. Um, that would be my dog, Tilly. Um, she's a mutt, but she's kind of a long-haired chihuahua, papillon mix. Um, but yeah, she, she loves the ballet and the ballerinas. <laughs> and how do you know this? <laughs> Uh, you know, she she likes to say hi sometimes, so <laughs> yeah, she's kind of our little dressing room mascot. <laughs> How old is she? Um, she's two and a half. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, if you could pick any ballet, what would your dream role be? Mm, um, I have to say even though I kind of said this before, either Giselle, Aurora, or Juliet. One of those three. <laughs> I can see that happening. <laughs> all right, I'm going to open this up now to questions from all of you. So, yes. Uh, comment on how natural and relaxed she is out here. And also, um, the question was about your academic education. I, um, well, growing up in Florida, I went to public school through middle school. And um, when I went to the Kirov Academy in Washington, D.C., it's a ballet boarding school. So, um, you know, we, we would go to school from 9 until about noon. This was all in the same building, actually. And um, 
And then in the evening from like two until six, I believe, we would have class, ballet class, or rehearsal or whatever it was that we were having. But um, that was ninth grade through 11th grade. And my senior year of high school, I was in the company here. So I actually um, was homeschooled that year. And I only had one more class that I had to do, which I ended up doing online. Um, so that was my, you know, my elementary education. And currently, I'm enrolled in the LEAP program, which is um, a program. It's really great for dancers, um, professional artists who don't really have time to um, pursue a higher education. But um, I'm about halfway done with my BA. So I'm getting there slowly. <laughs> the LEAP program is through St. Mary's College, and they're able to work toward a BFA, B, BFA or BA? BA. BA degree while they're still performing. Mm -hmm. so, yes? About how many hours a day do you have rehearsal here and on tour? Um, in general, we'll have class starting at, at about 10 till 11.30, and then um, rehearsal, rehearsals can vary. So um, usually we'll have about six hours of rehearsal on a non-performing day. On a performing day, we'll have anywhere between um, two to five or six, and then we'll perform. So um, depends, you know, on the person and and the schedule, but that's on average. And it, tour is somewhat similar to that. Yes? Could you tell us about how you avoid injuries and then how you recover? How do you avoid injuries and how do you recover from them? Yeah. Uh, San Francisco Ballet has an excellent wellness program. Um, we have a physical therapist who's on staff um, every day that we are working. And he's here um, all day, every day, basically. He's the best. Um, and then we also have access to different types of therapies, whether it be massage therapy, acupuncture, um, chiropractor, almost anything you can think of. Um, so of course, real in injury prevention, in my opinion, begins you know, at the bar beginning of class, you have to warm up properly, you have to have proper technique, alignment. Um, but of course, with a huge workload, it's common that, you know, things, you'll have aches and pains. So um, I think the mix between that and the access we have to all the therapy um, is really hugely beneficial for the dancers. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, the question is how the casting process works and how you find out what roles you'll be dancing. Um, well, casting is, you know, either done by Helgi or uh, the choreographer of the ballet, if the choreographer is living. Um, and we find out mainly just, I mean, if it's a larger role, maybe, you know, we'll be told personally, but usually it's just written on the schedule. Um, and it's, yeah, um, usually we find out casting before performances about 
eight days before. Um, so that's, we just rehearse and, and perform when, when we're written down to perform. So, so the eight days before, that's for the performance, performance. schedule, um, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Yes. What kind of foods do you eat and what kinds of nutritional needs do you have? Um, I try to eat a ton of vegetables and fruit. Um, I'm a big fan of kale, spinach, um, pretty much any vegetable, I love it. Um, I also, um, you know, it's interesting because when we're dancing, I don't feel like I can eat a big salad because it, you know, it's upsetting. So. Um, I also eat protein bars to kind of like feed the muscle and not be too heavy. Um, a lot of water, electrolytes, um, lean proteins. Um, but I would say mainly my diet is 95% vegetable based. Do you have a guilty pleasure? Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> sugar. Um, <laughs> so that would be the jelly beans, Mike and Ike's, you know. <laughs> jelly beans, yes. <laughs> yes. How many point shoes do you go through in a week? Um, it depends. It can be anywhere. If the load is easy, it can be just one pair. But um, I would say probably about two, sometimes three a week. And what would constitute, a, a, you know, a, a load that's so light that you only go through one pair? Uh, maybe if we're just doing, focused on one ballet, and I rehearse maybe, you know, a couple hours a day, and it's not, it also depends on the type of movement. So if it's um, kind of light on the feet, my feet, um, my shoes um, kind of last a bit longer, but... If it's something that's kind of heavy and need, I need to be very grounded, they start breaking very easily and quickly. Are there new technologies that have gone into the construction of point shoes? I don't know for certain. I know that um, most everyone wears handmade point shoes that have been handmade for generations and um, there are people who are very attached to their makers because um, every maker kind of has a slightly different variation on how they make a point shoe. Um, I don't know how much that has changed over the years though. Nobody else, out oh, there's one. Are you dancing today? I'm not. I just have rehearsal. <laughs> yeah. they, we try not to schedule them for these things when they're going to have to be on stage. Sometimes mm -hmm. it doesn't work. Can the yeah. shoes that are discarded be used for something else? Can, else? can discarded point shoes be used for something else or by someone else? Maybe. I mean, it, usually discarded point shoes are so worn and dead and soft that they're, they don't provide any support anymore, so it's actually kind of um, dangerous. It would, you'd be kind of prone to injury that way. Um, 
So we throw it away, or actually I donate my shoes to the ballet, and then they're sold in the ballet shop. I've also seen them used as artwork, or tree <laughs> artwork, of mobiles and such. So, uh, One more question, yes. Do you like to watch other performers and do you learn from them? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, absolutely, I, that's, I would say, one of the best ways that I learn um, is by watching other performers. And everybody has, brings something different to the table, which is, you know, really incredible to watch. And um, I've always, you know, when I was younger, I would watch videos of people and, you know, even on YouTube and um, when I have time I'll watch our performances and um, rehearsals and yeah, that's, I'm, anytime I can watch, I will watch. As a kid, did you have a, a, an idol, a ballet idol? Um, I had a few actually and I don't know if I've ever told her this, but she's actually in the company. Um, Sophie Ann Sill, I used to watch her videos on YouTube when I was um, training at the Kirov, um, and I still, I still admire her. Um, so she's one of them. Um, Larissa Lezhnina, I would watch her a lot. Um, Ala Sizova from an older generation, she was incredible. Um, yeah, those are three that I can... Well, I'd like to thank you all for coming today, and I'd especially like to say thank you to Sasha. We love having you here. And everyone, please enjoy the performance. Thank you.